Hello. Hello. A robot. A robot is among us. Hello. Welcome to Bad Heroes. Oh, God. (laughs) What if our listeners specifically came to this fantasy story because they're afraid of robots? Well. Previously on Bad Heroes. So there's this really awesome mirror in there, but it's very forbidden, and I want to know what it is. Oh my god, that thing's been there forever, and it scares the pants <laughs> off me. Gideon, you are standing inside the original city of Silverscale, not the Silverscale built high in the mountains that your family calls home now. This was your first home, where I think you spent your youngest and your happiest years before it was destroyed. Tonrir, you are standing in this forest at night, and you are watching a fire in the distance. That forest that was your home... It was a druidic stronghold, and it had never suffered like this. Is there a keep of records? Yes. However, it is important to remember that history can be changed. Gideon's still fuming, and she's looking up at the queen. What do you know of the fall of Silverscale? If that is what you most desire to know, out of all the knowledge in Vire, then so be it. You'll be hearing from me before you grow up. Danny. Yeah? Where's Vyre's library? I'll take you. I'll take you, Anton Rear. Welcome, listeners. Listen, I'm doing my best out here, okay? (laughs) Just living your best life. I'm just Mm -hmm. living my best life, eating this power bar. Eating your best power bar. Power bar. Power bar. Because you're not powerless. Does whatever a power bar does. I'm even alternating my fists in the air while I'm dancing in my chair. I have no idea what's going on (laughs) with my life anymore. It's a shame that this isn't like a video. No, it's not a shame. It's probably a saving grace, if we're honest. (laughs) So, last episode, we ended on kind of a hot note. You guys just went to see the queen, and stuff got kind of heated, and Gideon almost died. Old news, man. (laughs) But see, the thing is, it's new news, because that's the moment we're living in. So, my question is, you guys want to go to the library. Danny will take you. Do you guys want to go right away, or when's library o'clock? Gideon wants to go now. Tonrir also wants to go to the library. All right. It's a good thing I don't have any battle encounters planned for the library, Gideon, or you die immediately. <laughs> Living life on the edge. Uh, you must need a nap so bad. Meditating <laughs> in the hot tub. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I have a whole five hit points. Oh, man. Hold out one hand, all the fingers. That's how many hit points. That's a lot. It's more than double what I had. It's not a lot. That's basically the life force of a housefly, Gideon. Wow. Please don't make me kill you. It's more than twice what I had, and that's the important thing we need to take away from this. Okay, fine. It is the life force of two houseflies that are very large and will live 48 hours. Kind of saddens me that we've done... Less damage than is necessary to kill a housefly sometimes, now that I think about it. Maybe there's a little bit of hyperbole going on. Maybe these houseflies would be terrifying. (laughs) Maybe they were like those weird Africa spiders. 
Africa spiders? Are you talking about tsetse flies, which are not spiders in any way? <laughs> so Gideon wants to go to the library right away. Tonrir also wants to go to the library right away. And Danny says, are you guys sure? Like, you don't want to, like, sleep or, like, eat or something? Like, you just, you're just good? I'm fine. Let's go. Tonrir looks over and says, I'm pretty sure that I wouldn't be able to do either right now. Okay. All right. Well, let's go. You two follow Danny across the city. You walk through the capital, and I don't know how much time you guys have actually spent, like, walking through the capital. You guys were here for a little bit before this game began, but it it is overall a pretty pleasant place. Um, you guys see lots of places to stay, lots of businesses. The people, on average, seem pretty happy and, on average, pretty friendly. And Danny leads you along this walk, and she knows a ton of people, by the way. Like, Danny is just waving to everybody. And you guys finally arrive at the Great Library. It is a beautiful seven-story library, which is as wide as it is tall. Mm. And Gideon, you are hit with that good, good book smell. Mm. Yeah. Gideon, (laughs) even though she's determined to find the answers to her questions, she... She walks in and just takes it all in and gasps at the sheer size and has a quick minute of appreciation before getting back on task. Yeah, I mean, Gideon, to you, this place is gorgeous, no matter what kind of mood you're in. It has tall, neatly organized bookshelves everywhere you look, and the floor is engraved with gold in beautiful abstract patterns that curl almost like smoke. And you guys see this first floor, which has seating and tables and people talking like animatedly that kind of look like academics. And you get the impression that this first floor is kind of, it is a good place for like academic debate and like for meeting with people. That's kind of what this first floor is set up as. And give me a perception check, guys. Uh, 11. Gideon's was 10 plus 6, so 16. Okay, yeah, I mean, that's good. So this is, just by the nature of being the first story of a library with a million books and a good number of people, it can be a little overwhelming to walk into a place that busy. But on the far wall, engraved in gold, you guys see some words, and they jump out to you. And at the top, it says, Dedicated to Queen Aurelia of the House of Fane, First of her line. And then beneath that, it says, Commissioned by Queen Callista of the House of Fane, Grand Patron of the Arts and Sciences, so that Vire may partake in the knowledge and cultures of the world. Tonrir will take a look at those letters for a moment and then just take a grander look at the stories that are above and look sidelong toward Gideon to see if. Gideon was also looking at the lettering, but also to see if there was any reaction to seeing that. Gideon is looking at that. She seems pretty, I guess you could almost say, entranced by her environment right now. She's a little bit inside her own head. So she doesn't meet your eyes. She doesn't look at you. She hasn't even acknowledged that you're there. She's just taken in this library and she's staring at the words on the wall. Danny's with you guys. 
and she she kind of smiles a little bit, Gideon, at seeing how entranced you are at your environment. So, uh, yeah, this is this is the Great Library and the House of Records, and it's it's free. Anyone can come here anytime. Uh, they actually have a lot of classes, and those are free too. I mean, I don't know it well enough to find what you're looking for, but uh, there's an info desk, actually. And she points to a little podium. And on the other side of that podium, standing on a pile of books, is a gnome that has bright purple skin and blue hair. And he's wearing, like, super fancy robes that are embroidered with the symbol of the House of Fane. Yeah, so um, that's Bryron. He can probably help you. And I guess I'll leave you to it. Um, Danny. Yeah? Do you have a piece of paper? Hang on. She kind of skips over to where uh, Bryron, that gnome, is, and she greets him, and he smiles like he knows her, and she has a conversation with him, and he produces a piece of paper and a pen. Or a quill? <laughs> Do pens exist? It's your world. I'm trying to decide. <laughs> this is not important. <laughs> he produces a piece of paper and a pen, which is basically... A magical quill. <laughs> the pen has a feather on the end. This is so profoundly important, and I'm thrilled at how much time we're spending on it. <laughs> and she comes back with that sort of enchanted quill and the piece of paper. Gideon takes paper and the magical pen and <laughs> quickly scribbles out something on, on the paper. She's writing a letter to her family, and she basically just scribbles out just a few lines to give them an update on what's going on. Mm -hmm. She just writes down, I have an update on my involuntary adventure so far. I have experienced real combat. I have used the crossbow Reyna gave me. I have been able to tap into my bloodline magic and use it to successfully defend myself, as well as my travel companions. I have sustained injuries, but there is no need for concern, as I am currently recovering within the capital of Ire. I hope this letter finds you well. And she folds it up and uh, gives it to Danny and says, please send this back to Silverscale. Danny takes it very carefully from you and takes the cool back as well and says, I'll do it. I'll make sure it gets there. Well, um, good luck. You guys know where to find me. I hope I see you soon. Gideon walks straight over to, okay, is his name Byron or is it Bryron? Because I <laughs> couldn't quite hear you. Bryron, Bryron. Like Byron, but add an extra R. Why would you put another R in there? I do what I want. Byron. Byron. You can do it. Byron. I think you're doing this in character. You come up, you come up and, and you're reading this guy's name tag and you're looking him dead in the, like, dead in the chest and you're going, Byron. He goes, it's Byron, actually. Okay, Brian. No, not that. <laughs> no, Gideon walks up to Byron and... As soon as Danny left, she just went back to the single-minded task she's here to do. Welcome to the Library of Vire. How can I help you? Hello. Hello. Hello? <laughs> Is it me that you're looking for? <laughs> oh, no. Um, she very determinedly comes up and she says... She's like trying to think of exactly the type of information she wants to know of. And she just says, I need to know where I can find the information for some sort of timeline of all the different rulers of Vire and what they did during their reigns. 
Ah, the rulers of Vire. Well, you could go to floor six, where history and geography can be found. You could also look on the wall. And he points, and you see uh, on sort of the longest wall of the room that was sort of hidden before by a bookshelf that was in your view, you see there are tapestries. There are actually six of them, and the tapestries look like portraits of rulers. So that would be a good place to start. I'm also happy to tell you what's on the different floors, and I can tell you about the classes offered this evening. Taught by world-renowned professors, we have classes today in transmutation, acrobatics, necromancy, and the loot. (laughs) (laughs) And the loot! And most importantly... Gideon kind of shrugs that off and says, I I don't need classes, I need information on, specifically, is there any information anywhere in here about silver scale? Silver scale, hmm. He's standing on a stack of books, and he has an even taller stack of books next to him. And he looks at the stack beside him, which is actually taller than him. And you maybe have a worry for a second that he's going to pull out a book and just clobber himself with a pile of books. I don't worry about that. Okay, well... (laughs) I, I will. I will. <laughs> Thanks, Tonner. Gideon, do you know Tonner's here? I'm just curious. <laughs> no. Gideon hasn't even paid attention to anybody that walked in aside from Danny. And as soon as Danny was given the letter and given instruction to send that off to her family, Gideon has gone back to kind of the one-track mind. She's here on task. Just incredible tunnel vision. Okay. <laughs> he pulls out a giant tome of history. Silver scale, silver scale. Hmm. I don't see it. But that will be on floor six, history and geography. As he's still talking, Gideon walks off to floor six. He's holding out a, um, he has pulled a little list of what's on every floor, and he's trying to hand it to you, but I see that you've left. Tonra, do you take the list of what's on every floor? (laughs) Tonra was sitting at about Gideon's seven o'clock. Um, observing the conversation and had looked toward the tapestries. And as soon as Gideon takes off, he makes a quick look toward Gideon and then back to Bryron and, and comes forward and says, yes, thank you for that. We will make sure to utilize these notes accordingly. And you had mentioned the tapestries. Um, at that point, Tonra is going to take a closer look at that. So each of them, uh, depict the rulers and what's depicting how how are the histories or actions being depicted on those tapestries so if you if you leave Bryron and you walk across the room to look closer at the tapestries i can tell you what you see um from from a great distance all you see is is six faces okay tonmir will hmm cuz one person's going one way and then there's tapestries uh tonmir will make a mental note of where the tapestries are but instead uh follow uh, Gideon nodding a thanks to Bryron. And the the last, since you did just take a passing glance at them, the last uh, tapestry that you saw, you could recognize as Sephira. Okay. So you guys are heading to floor six? Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, there is a great grand staircase that you guys are able to go up. There's also a halfling wizard that is standing beside the grand staircase and there's like a little kind of like a magical pulley system it's like a magical elevator to help people who can't walk and get to the upper floors and uh you guys take the staircase yeah i will yeah gideon's 
determinedly stomping up the stairs as fast as she can. <laughs> okay, the stairs quiver in fear. And <laughs> you walk up to the sixth story going up these stairs, and they are also gilded uh, with this beautiful pattern. Everything here is, it is really gorgeous. This is a really beautiful library. And I think no matter how angry you are, Gideon, you cannot ignore how beautiful and well-crafted this library is. And you head up to the sixth floor, and the sixth floor is very, very big. It is the floor that you know, Tanrir, according to the sheet you got, contains history and geography. Um, and you walk up, and I think it's a little overwhelming, like how how big this floor is. Yes, so when Gideon gets to the top of the staircase, she kind of pauses and looks around and realizes she may have acted rashly, and she kind of looks back at where the tapestries are and then starts looking around the floors to see if she can spot what kind of organization system was used and see where she can get started. And I think that's when... Nope, she still hasn't seen Tonmir. <laughs> <laughs> this is incredible. This is the Where's Waldo of dudes. It's like the one time where stealth's working in my favor. It's great. <laughs> is it working in your favor or is it just making Gideon really rude? Uh, we'll say it's working indifferently for the moment. To be determined. Okay. And she, Gideon, like, Tonmir may be able to, to tell this, um, but just the way that she's looking around, like the way that she looked at the tapestries, the way that she's kind of glancing around... She she looks panicked. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so ooh ooh special owl moment because we don't want to forget the owl. Never, never. Hopefully, nobody's upset that an owl has flown in here. Obviously, in tow. No, I I think that you even even some of the like academics like I think you you saw an academic whose familiar was a lion, ooh. and they were just chilling chilling downstairs. Ah, I see where things are going. But anyway, so what Tonmer will do is, of course, Gideon was going up the spiral staircase as quick as uh, Gideon can. And Tonmer is going to get up there probably with several seconds of delay behind her. And then as he makes his way onto onto the floor itself, just by happenstance... As Gideon, hopefully still looking at the tapestries, Ruthaween is going to land on the railing and inadvertently just look right at her because that's where Ruthaween landed. And see if that, like, puts an object of distraction in front. Hmm. Rolled a one, so no. Perfect. <laughs> Tonmir is going to go look at the card that he has. <laughs> you think, like, wow, what a cool owl. Anyway, it reminds me of something a little bit, but not... But anyway. <laughs> cool. So. You're looking at the floors? Yeah. So Tom Ray is looking at the floors, but he's seeing this this look and he is just going to say, Gideon, are you okay? So that'll kind of snap her out of it and she'll look right at Tom Rear, and uh, she's startled for a moment. Kind of tries to compose herself and looks at him and says, Tom Rear, when did you get here? Just now. I'm I'm doing that as a point to not like further uh, try to shake her and not make her feel worse. Yeah, exactly. So she kind of she kind of shakes her head and says, "Oh, well, I'm sorry if I left the castle in a hurry. I needed to I have so much on my mind. I have so many questions and I need to find out what happened. The the things of my past are not they're not adding up. And I need to know the truth." Tonrir takes a deep breath and then slowly starts walking toward Gideon. Like, I think 
partially out of the camaraderie of the situation because he's in a similar boat. And he's got that look of, you know, sympathy and empathy on his face. And he replies, ill-placed roots will not hold up a tree. We need to take our time and make sure that the roots are sturdy before we build on it. So the only thing that you can do, just as the wind goes through the trees, is take your own breath to steady yourself. So that way we can look for the right information. Hearing this, she she does a small nod. Um, she's still very visibly upset, but she takes uh, tries to take like a deep, shuddering breath, and then exhales. And as she does, Tonrir, you probably see like a, a cloud of fog, kind of like when you're breathing in a really cold air. Mm-hmm. And then she kind of closes her eyes, trying to steady herself, and opens them again. And then looks at your hands and says, "What is that?" Pointing to the map thing. To the, the legend, I guess, is what yeah. you could call it. Tonrir uh, just approaches and says, This notes what is on each floor, and we're currently on geography and history, which may be a good place to start, but the tapestries that are over there depict what has happened with each of the rulers to at least some extent from what I could tell. But I am at a great disadvantage because I have never at least been in a library like this, much less any others. So, if you would be so kind as to help (laughs) guide me in this place, because I'm at a loss. She she chuckles and says, this is the first time I've felt comfortable since coming to Vire. And then she uh, reaches for the little directory legend thing to see if she can get uh, an idea of where to look. Yep, he hands it off. So what you see is a quick label of what's on every floor. Uh, floor one is music and storytelling. Floor two is complementary continuing education. Floor three, magical learning and arcane tradition. Floor four, flora and fauna of the natural world. Floor five, the terrifying gifts and virtues of hell. Floor six, history and geography. And floor seven, mortal records. And then you guys also see, noted at the bottom, basement, off limits. Hmm. And I think if you're trying to figure out how to navigate around floor six, there is a map near you that sort of shows the general general segments of history and geography on this floor. If you want to give me a general int check. Uh, it's going to be a 16. Okay. I think that you're able to kind of use the map and figure out the general correct direction. It looks like using the map, you are going to turn left and you're going to go pretty far down. And then you are going to turn right at an area called History of the False Religions. And that should lead you generally to where you are trying to to look, which is, you can assume, going to be history domestic. So yeah, she peruses this thing that Tonra handed her and she looks it over and then looks at the map and says, okay... I believe this is the area in, that is going to have the information I know I'm looking for. But what what is it that you're here to, to learn? Tonrir uh, takes a deep breath and says, I need to know what happened to a forest some time ago that was burned. And he doesn't say much beyond that for the moment, for uh, just for the sake of Gideon to not allow her astray too far from her focus. And he says, he uh, appends that with, but we can look for that afterward. Let's 
see what you need to find first. Is that section that we're going to, is it organized in any sort of like timeline kind of thing? You know, I think it would be organized alphabetically by region. Okay. And so do you guys go over to that area? Yeah. Yeah. So you enter this sort of area and you kind of head generally to domestic history, which is the history of areas within Vire. And what you see is just like, oh my God, so much information, like so much information. It's arranged alphabetically by region, but (laughs) I'm not sure if either of you guys actually know what region you guys are classified in. You guys are both actually like pretty big outsiders to the capital and you guys are picking up on the fact that the way they talk about the world in Vire, in the capital of Vire, is very different than the way that people on the outskirts of Vire talk about it. So you get the impression that like, it might be a little challenging for you to find what you're looking for on your own. There is somebody else near you as you enter into this area, which is like, you look down this row and it is so long that you can almost not see the end of the row. And you see sitting actually pretty close to you on the ground with a stack of like 20 books beside them, you see a person that has red skin and black horns and they turn to look at you as you walk into this area and they have pupilless yellow eyes and they're wearing a sweater vest and they are sipping a cup of tea and pouring over what looks like a history text. What an adorable nerd. (laughs) (laughs) Do I know what that manner of creature that is? Give me a, an arcana check. I don't have that skill, so. Oh, I I have arcana. Okay, Tonra, you don't know. Uh, let's see, arcana. Holy shit, I have a seven in that? Oh boy, okay. Uh, seven, plus, seven plus four, 11. You look at this person and you identify this person as a cambion, which is a person that is half mortal, and half demon. Tonner will look toward uh, toward Gideon, just kind of following uh, in place, and just kind of you know gives that like slight shrug of uh, I don't know what to do here. <laughs> are cambions rare? Cambions are pretty taboo. Taboo, as in, I mean, in in most places of the world, there's not going to be a lot of a bleed over from the plane of hell. There's not going to be a lot of creatures from the plane of hell in most places on the material plane. But you know that Vire is an exception. I'm trying to decide how how Gideon would react. And if uh, coming from nobility like Gideon does, would, would she be surprised to see this type of creature? I think you would be as surprised to see this Cambion as you would be to see Vesper. Okay, so as soon as they turn and Gideon looks down this long shelving of books and sees how incredibly daunting of a task it is. And then her eyes meet with this other person. She takes a very small step back, possibly even bumping into Tonrir and uh, a quick gasp and says, a cambion. And then quickly composes herself and says, excuse me. Uh, I, I didn't mean to be rude. I was just startled. Um, I've I've never I've only read of your kind in books. <laughs> they look at you and they blink and they set their tea down and they stand up and they smile a little bit and reach out to shake your hand. She very gingerly takes it. 
They shake your hand gently, and they say, um, Zaylin, at your service. And Gideon releases her grip and then says, Well, Zaylin, uh, like I said, I did not mean to interrupt your uh, perusal of these books. Um, it just appears that we have a bit of a daunting task to try and find what it is we are searching for in all of this. They smile, and they're wearing reading glasses, and they, they take them off and kind of clean them on their shirt, and they say, um, yes, it's, uh, it can be a bit much. Um, can I, I, I don't, uh, I don't work here, but I'm here pretty much all the time. I'm a historian. Can I help you find something? So Gideon's eyes kind of light up at that, and she is trying her best to act how she would feel uh, like is personable to try and use persuasion <laughs> to her mm -hmm. advantage. Even though this is somebody who's literally offering help, she's just not accustomed to that. Which is wild because you have actually a pretty high charisma stat. Yes. But she's, she's never really needed to rely on, on another before. She's been able to peruse her own library. She's been able to find her own books. She's, she's been able to know exactly what it is she wants and where to find it. And so she is a very charismatic person, but she doesn't, she's never had to put it to use. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So she, even though he's fully offering to help, she thinks that she has to persuade him as such. Uh, they. Oh, uh, persuade them as such. Um, and so Gideon kind of smiles and says, well, I, uh, I do understand it. If if I had access to a library such as this, I would never want to leave either. And I have to say, my my home library, I am quite familiar with all all the different aspects of it, where each book is located, what each book contains, and I can only imagine how much time I would need to spend here in order to know even a portion of one floor of the information that this place contains. Um, if you would. They're smiling through this whole thing. They're smiling. <laughs> they like nod a little and say like, it's, it, it must be like wearing someone else's shoes to be in someone else's library. I understand. That is a horrifying image. I would never <laughs> want to wear anyone else's shoes. But uh, if you, <laughs> if you could please. <laughs> That's like all in character laughing. <laughs> they're, they're just like, they're so tickled. They look like, they're looking at you with this expression of like sudden and completely helpless fondness as you <laughs> <laughs> um, so she just continues and says, uh, well, if if you would um be so kind as to point me in a direction if you happen to know of any any mention within these books of a a place called Silver Scale. Silver scale, silver scale. Uh, and I think that they they sit back down wordlessly and just start pulling at the books next to them. And they pull out a big map. And they say, ah, oh, silly me, I had that one checked out weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and they start unfolding it and they look at it and they say, silver scale, silver scale. One moment, hold on. And if, if you want to look, you can look over their shoulder at this map. Yes, Gideon's peering at it. Okay, uh, it's a map of Vire, and 
I think that you maybe are actually able to see it first. The capital is kind of in the center of Vire. To the south is the coast. And to the north is this big mountain range. And that is where your home is. And then down below, down in sort of the valley below those mountains, it says, area formerly known as Silverscale. Mm. Tonner is also going to peer over just for the sake of trying to associate geography, um, give it like mountain ranges and all that stuff to see if he can approximate uh, where his forest was. Yeah, I think you can. I mean, you, you traveled here on your own, so I think you have a good idea of the geography. Your village's name was Rultuween, right? Yes. So you don't see that anywhere on this map, but you do see, and it's, it's, very, um, it's very distinctive. You could find it even with no label. Because your forest, the forest that you're from, it is surrounded by mountains on three sides. And it is almost directly west of the capital. And you see it on this map labeled as Ashter Wood. Tonrir, upon seeing that, takes a deep breath and is kind of melancholy for a moment, but pulls himself back to keep to the task at hand, knowing that uh, Gideon's also trying to find some information. But he does make a mental note of uh, that map, so that way he can also uh, come back and ask about it. Okay. So I think that Zaylin, uh, do, you guys, do you guys point out the parts of the map that you're interested in? Yeah. Yeah, Gideon, upon seeing the name of her home scrawled out, she gets very excited and she goes, right there. It's, it's that one. There, uh, uh, Silver Scale, right next to the uh, Zootlong Peaks. Zaylin looks at you and says, Hmm, all right, uh, I, I know where to find that. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to see? Tonmir will step forward at that point and nod and then point toward uh, Ashterwood and say, There, Ashter, in. And he looks at it like, he tilts his head and in a questioning tone says the Bridgemoor region. I think uh, they actually smile really brightly at you and they say, ah, part of the San Savane trade road. I've been there. It's beautiful. Gideon has a very puzzled look on her face. Uh, San Savane. Does that ring a name bell for me? San Savane. Nope. That's, that's just the name of the trade road that, uh, that is there now. Okay, just wanted to make sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Tonrair kind of steps back for a moment, realizing that his home had been renamed, but does his best to kind of press that down and says, oh, regardless, I need to find out what's happened there in the last 20 to 25 years. Very well. Um, well, uh, shall we? And they pick up their tea and uh, get ready to go for a walk. Tonrir nods and follows. Yeah, Gideon's following. So I think as they're walking, they're running their fingers along the labels and they say, mm, Bridgemore, Bridgemore. Bridgemore will be first. Uh, let's see. <laughs> and you guys walk for like two minutes down this stack before you reach B. And they start looking at the names of books and crouch to get down to the bottom row. And they say, let's see, let's go with Orion Balaris. He's always very comprehensive. Hello, Balaris. What can you tell me of Bridgemore? And opens this book and starts flipping through it. And then they stop and they look up and say, 
Um, did you say the last 25 years? What 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 are you looking for? Roughly, yes, the last 25. They sort of awkwardly take off their glasses and wipe them clean again and put them back on their face and say, <clears throat> so um, historic timelines will be organized into BF, uh, which is before Fane, and RF, which is after the rise of Fane. So, let's see, 20 years ago, it's been 132 years since Fane's rise to power, so that will put it at 112 RF, 112 rise of Fane, and starts flipping through this book. They flip to sort of that timeline, and they hand you this text, and it has information on that region at the time in question. Um, go ahead and give me an intelligence roll. Not my strong suit, so we'll see how this goes. <laughs> I rolled a one. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. Okay. This is all, it, there's a lot of information. It's very confusing. Um, it's a historical text, which of course is, is deeply confusing and not just to you, to anyone. But I think you work together with Zaylin to kind of get the information that you want out of this book. And what you find in this book is that... <laughs> What you're looking for, correct, is you are looking to see what caused the destruction of your home. Yes. You don't see any mention of it. You only see Ashter Wood, and there is nothing around that time. And I think that Zaylin, trying to understand what you want and not finding any information, um, is looking further and further back. And what Zaylin finds is a map. And this map shows Vyre before the rise of Fane. And it shows that the Ashter Wood was part of Vire, which you know is not true. Hmm. Tonrier, uh, I'm guessing he was thumbing through it and maybe reading some things, or they were thumbing through it and reading some things aloud? Mm -hmm. Yep. Oh, okay. Um, upon hearing that, Tonrier is going uh, to shake his head and said, no, no, that's, that's not right. That wood was not always part of fire. The wind, uh, that's not accurate. Zaylin looks at you curiously and drums their fingers and then says, hmm, well, um, let's, let's look at the next, shall we? And leads you on to the next place looking like, and you guys walk for quite a long time and you guys actually cross stacks because what, what is the letter? What's the starting letter of, of your mountain range, Gideon? X. Okay, so you guys walk quite a ways to get all the way to X alphabetically. So you walk all the way down and then you cross over a couple stacks and finally you find yourself in the right place. And Zaylin does what they did before. They sit down and they actually look for the same author and they find another historical text. And they open it up and start flipping through and they say, ah, uh, mm, so um, timeline for this? Approximately 91 years ago. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so 91 years ago, 41 Rise of Fane, and starts flipping, 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 and finally uh, comes to the correct page and says, ah, there is an event for 41 Rise of Fane for this place. There is an event for Silverscale, 41 Rise of Fane, and hands it over to you. And make me an intelligence check. Actually, make me... Do you have knowledge history? Yeah. Where's history? Five plus ten. 
15. Okay. You are able to understand this very, very well. Um, <laughs> it, it's sort of in a little bit of jargon, but what you read may surprise you. Um, what you read is that it is listed that 91 years ago, the nation of silver scale following several diplomatic meetings that went well, voluntarily joined the nation of fire. Now, this matches up with what your mother told you. However, give me an insight check. A sense motive, sorry. Oh, that's uh, the bad one. Eight minus one, so seven. Seems good. Seems <laughs> good. Am I listening alongside? Is that something that I could check as well? Yeah, yeah. I'll do that. Because I'll, I'll justify this a bit. After hearing what was clearly conflicting information from the history that he knew, he's immediately like, mm, what's up? <laughs> yeah, go for it. Okay, so that's going to put me at 18. Okay. Um, Tonrir, there's a, um, shall we say, positivity to <laughs> this uh, section of history that doesn't really ring true. You know, it, it lists out several diplomatic meetings for the years prior and it says they all went super, super, super great. <laughs> and that just doesn't feel right to you. So what do you guys do? Uh, Tom Rear is, uh, is listening toward that information. Um, and the first thing that he's going to do is say, uh, or he's thinking aloud here and saying, firstly, the, what added up with the woods didn't make sense. And he looks toward Gideon and says, and for the talks to just go swimmingly well, doesn't it seem a little bit? And he kind of shrugs at that. And As you start to finish your sentence, Zaylin holds up their finger and goes, mm, 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 mm. no. Tonrier is gritting his teeth upon seeing that. Zaylin takes, are you still holding the um, list of floors? I had handed that to Gideon. Uh, yeah, Gideon has it. I think Zaylin uh, reaches to take it from you. Gideon hands it to them. They take it and they give you a very pointed look. And then they reach into their pocket and they produce a quill. And they write something in very small letters and then they hand it back. And when they give this back to you, I think what you see written on the back is, be careful what you say. And when you turn that list of floors over, the basement is circled. Mm. Gideon sees this, right? Both of you. They hand it back in such a way that you can both see it. Uh, Gideon Gideon looks at Tonrir. Tonrir looks at Gideon. Rothawain looks at Tonrir and Gideon. Well, just to bring everybody in here. Zaylin looks at everybody. The books look at everybody. There's a lot of eye contact. Yeah. Um, and through gritting teeth, finishes the sentence. It says, seems like that would be the most correct action that could be taken in such a circumstance. Zaylin gives you kind of a meek smile. And they say, yes. I think you'll find that all the information 
in the public portion of the Great Library is correct. And they sort of raise their eyebrows when they say the word public. Mm. Mm. Tron uses his teleportation to just immediately a poof in the basement. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> is that how that works? <laughs> Totally. Bye, fools. <laughs> Tanra maintains eye contact as he fucking disappears off this mortal coil. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Tanrir makes a, a knowing nod and says, very well. And I would suppose that everything that is uh, public is there for good reason and that anything else would be not worth investigating he says with rather huge emphasis. I think Zaylin looks at your bracelet with the symbol of the House of Fane very pointedly. Mm. And then says, yes, I think you'll find that the records, which are not public, are uninteresting and are reserved for the people who need to see them. Hmm. People who are near the crown. Tonrir looks once more at Gideon and uh, then at, at sidelong glance towards, uh, towards them says, thank you for all of the help that you have given despite uh, our interruption that has been greatly appreciated. But I do think that it is time for us to uh, become summary with our investigation. And he looks to Gideon to see if there's agreement. Gideon is staring at them and just nods in agreement with Tonrir. All right. Zaylin uh, sketches a deep bow and uh, has to has to like move back a little bit so that their horns don't bump into you and says, um, always a pleasure. Uh, if you need some unofficial historical advice, uh, you can find me here. Tonrir nods once more and... Uh, is assumingly going to walk in the right direction. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you can head back towards the great staircase if you like. I, I, I like the idea that you guys like bumble around and get lost a little bit. <laughs> yeah. I think you start walking to the right and Zaylin like goes up and uh, stairs are that way. And like right in mid step when the right foot's up in the air forward, you just see that pivot on the left heel go right and then walk <laughs> the other way. <laughs> This is your GM, Dre Silvertooth, and welcome to episode 22 of Bad Heroes, part two of our Return to Vire interlude. If you hear the pitter-patter of small feet or me screaming, it's because I'm in here with two foster kittens, and this is my third take of the mid-ep, <laughs> because they keep attacking me. This episode is... <laughs> This episode is tonally pretty different from past episodes. I wanted to experiment with letting the players choose which scenes they wanted to do, even if those scenes weren't all together. So I hope you don't hate the lack of fighting. And if you do, well, it will not be long before they are back in the fray. I am thrilled this week to thank our two new patrons. Our first new patron is Arden, who has been graciously listening to my writer babble since the conception of this show. And our second new patron is James, 
who has been warming the entire cast's collective heart with just really thoughtful comments. It means so much to have you awesome people throw your support behind us like that. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you. And Arden, happy birthday, dear. Our Patreon, in case you want to join Arden and James in a very exclusive club of people who believe in our heartfelt make-believe, is patreon.com slash badheroes. If you use social media, please come hang out with us. We can be found on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at badheroescast. Our website is badheroescast.com. And don't forget to check that out if you want those content warnings. They are mostly for the second half of this episode. And uh, they, oh my god, a kitten just bit me. <laughs> uh, the content warnings the, the content warnings can be found at badheroescast.com slash content warnings. Music in this episode is Mercy by Kai Angle. Kai Angle's work can be found and purchased at kaiangle.bandcamp.com. That's K-A-I-E-N-G-E-L bandcamp.com and it is straight up all wonderful so you should do that you'll be impressed there is music at the end of this episode by our very own leanne rose i do not think my dad listens to this podcast because it's like 600 percent too nerdy for him but if he is listening hey dad thank you for the keyboard we plan on making good use of it and we appreciate you so much oh uh and our theme as always is solve the damn mystery by jesse spillane my absolute favorite song title. All right, I think that is it. With any luck, the next episode should be out on July 15th. See you then. So while Tonner and Gideon make their way downstairs, we're going to check in with Iria. And we last saw her outside the castle as Danny took Tonner and Gideon to the library. There is a large gated wall that goes around the castle grounds. And on the grounds is the castle, Danny's cottage, and Vesper's house. What does Iria want to do? I think Iria is going to go to Vesper's because um, she's really excited to learn about that mirror that she found. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. So... Since it's literally been a calendar year since we talked about the mirror, like in real life, <laughs> you and I, um, and established that sort of curiosity killed the cat side quest, um, I'm going <laughs> to remind you what Iria saw. So about 48 hours ago in game, you guys were all in that dusty supply shed scrounging around for gear. And Iria spotted a large ornate standing mirror that was covered by a dirty cloth. And Danny warned Iria that strange objects like that are often very dangerous in Vire, which naturally just made Iria more curious about it. Uh, so you took a peek at the edges of that extremely cursed-looking mirror, and what you saw was a demonic-looking face engraved into the metal frame. And also you found what looked like rough letters that had been scratched into the metal. And you have not taken a clear look at the mirror itself, only its edges. So it's been like two days, and Iria can still remember more or less what the writing looked like. Uh, and you asked Vesper before leaving if he had time to translate that writing for you. And at the time, he was too busy. But now that you guys have brought him Farah, he has expressed himself to be in your debt and has told you he'd be happy to decipher those scratches at the edge of the mirror for you. Very cool. Yes, Iria is very excited to learn this mystery. Very fitting for Iria that she found a mystery to solve. <laughs>
So you guys have finished up in the castle. Danny uh, sort of waves goodbye to you as she goes to take Tonrir and Gideon to the library. And you are left alone on the castle grounds. Okay, yeah, I think Iria just goes straight for Vesper's house because she's kind of, she's ready for something exciting and not something scary, which just happened. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you guys have had like kind of a day. Okay, cool. So you head away from the castle and you find that cobblestone path that leads to Vesper's Manor. And as you approach it, you see what you've seen before, which is like a large uh, red brick exterior uh, and a heavy wooden door that does not match the rest of the manor. And of course, there is a face inlaid into that door and there are cats everywhere, just cats all over the place. (laughs) All right. So Iria knocks on the door. And waits for riddles. Hello again! It's time for a riddle, it's time for a riddle, it's time for a riddle, hello! <laughs> What's the riddle this time? Hello! Hello! Is that a riddle? <laughs> no, it's just a greeting. <laughs> what do you bury when it's alive and dig up when it's dead? A flower? <gasps> oh my gosh! It's a plant, which is a flower. A flower is a plant. You did it. I'm very proud of you. Would you like another riddle? Oh, no. I thought I just had to answer that to go in. Well, you don't have to answer anymore. It's just for fun. I got a riddle for you. Oh. Oh. <laughs> nobody ever answers. And nobody ever. Oh, my God. You have a riddle. Nobody ever asks me a riddle. Ask me a riddle. Ask me a riddle. What question can you never answer yes to? Huh. What question can you never answer yes to? I don't know. Oh my gosh. I, oh, kitty cat, you've stumped me so badly. Yes. What, what, what question can you never, and I think as he's having sort of like an existential crisis, um, he he swings open for you so that you can go inside. <laughs> <laughs> I pat the door like like it's a shoulder, like it's okay. They're there. <laughs> and then I whisper in its ear, are you asleep yet? That's the question. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think as the door closes behind you, you just hear Brilliant! It's brilliant! <laughs> brilliant! <laughs> it's brilliant! <laughs> And, uh, and now you are in that grand uh, entryway, and you see cats everywhere, and uh, Ivy actually drops down from one of the pieces of cat furniture that runs along the wall, and sashays over to you and brushes against your calf. I reach down and I pet her. <laughs> she purrs and says, Hello, Iria. Are you here to see Vesper? I am indeed. He's in his laboratory with Farah, but it's a bit of a horror show in there. Of course it is. <laughs> Best I just have them meet you in the library. It's open. That'll do. Okay, where is the library? <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, and you know this from being here before, it is up on the second story. Uh, the laboratory is on the right, and the library is to the left. Oh, yes, yes. Very fond memories of falling books in there. I think you mean knocking books over. No, they just fell. I don't know how they fell. It's weird. It's funny how that happens. (laughs) Area goes up to the second 
floor and goes to the library. Okay. Uh, You walk in and you find yourself inside that lovely two-story library. Uh, And as you walk in, there is that marble chessboard that was there last time, and it starts floating. Iria is obviously curious about this, so she goes over and um, takes a look at it. I think as you approach it, it starts, the the chessboard drops back down, but the pieces start floating and start bumping into you. Into me? Like with some level of urgency? Oh, um, I think Yuria tries to like grab one. Okay. What, what piece do you grab? The knight. I think as you grab the knight, would you have grabbed the white piece or the black piece? In my head, it was brown, but so I guess that would be black. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, yeah, we can say that it's like. It's, it, it was black, but it's like the paint has kind of faded with age and now it's brown. So you grab the brown knight and all the other brown pieces quickly drop to their appropriate places on the chessboard. And so do the white pieces opposite you. Yeah. And a pawn on the white side moves forward. Have I entered into a game that I did not consent to? <laughs> <laughs> Area sighs and sits down. Is there a chair? Yep, there's a chair. It's at like a little, it's on the far end of the library. There's like a little circular table and a chair on either side. Okay, yeah, Iria like sighs and sits down and realizes that obviously she has to play this game with a ghost. (laughs) I think if you're committed to like playing the game, go ahead and give me an intelligence check uh, just to see like how well you do. So 10 plus 2 is 12. Okay. I think you're giving it a good shot. And in the beginning, it kind of looks like you're holding your own. (laughs) But as the game goes on, you quickly start losing pieces. um, And you get the impression that whoever's playing with you is actually very practiced in chess. And I think that you, you know, about 15 minutes passes and you are just at the point where these pieces, these white pieces that are moving of their own accord, have put your king in check when you hear the door to the library uh, swing open. I think Iria quickly goes to the other chair, like she was the one playing with the white pieces. <laughs> so it looks like she's winning. <laughs> Give me a deck saving throw. So it's uh, 19. So I think as you do that, as you wedge yourself into <laughs> the chair on the white side of the chessboard to make it look as if you are winning, <laughs> all the white pieces lift off the board and start pelting themselves at you. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> but you're dodging them like really expertly. And <laughs> as this is sort of going on, as you're dodging chess pieces, uh, Vesper sweeps in with Farah at his heels, and he has some blood on his robe uh, that looks pretty fresh, and Farah has several large bandages up and down her arms. Uh, and as they walk in, Vesper says, Hello, Iria. You look as if you feel better. Oh, oh. <laughs> Don't mind the poltergeist. He's very needy. <laughs> Uh, Iria is kind of like ducking and dodging the, the chess pieces and is like, Hey, Vesper, um, can you make this stop? <laughs> Please cut that out. And I think sort of sheepishly, the chess pieces stop for a second and then just one more launches itself at you. Iria <laughs> dodges it really quick and is like, don't be mad that you weren't winning. <laughs> <laughs> I think Vesper folds his arms and very slowly and sort of um, poutily, the chess pieces start putting themselves back. <laughs> and finally, Vesper says, thank you. So, Iria, what can I do for you? 
Well, um, since we got back with our lives and another life that you asked for and you said that you owe us, I figured I'd come by and get that thing that you owe us, or at least owe me. (laughs) Are you referring to the text you'd like translated? Yes. Yes, exactly. He claps his hands together and says, I would be delighted. Uh, Let me have you write it down and I will work on the translation for you. And I think he approaches you with a piece of paper and a pen and invites you to to write out what you saw on the side of the mirror. Is there a place for Iria to like set down the paper and start writing? Yeah, probably just on top of the chessboard. Okay. So she moves all the chess pieces kind of softly so it doesn't upset anyone and starts writing them down. So you write, you know, sort of two two series of symbols clumped together. And Vesper leans over your shoulder and he rubs his bony hands together and says, Ah, this appears to be abyssal, the language of devils, demons, and the outer sphere. Normally, that might be surprising, but not in Vire. It's a bit difficult to translate, even more difficult to pronounce. But let me see what I can do. Thank you. Anything for my, well, one of my favorite cats. (laughs) <laughs> and <laughs> he, uh, he puts a, a bony hand on your shoulder and gives it a pat and uh, picks up the paper. Can I just say that, like, bony hands rubbing together feels like it would sound very bad? <laughs> it doesn't sound great. <laughs> uh, so he sort of picks up the piece of paper and he starts scooting around and pulling various texts off of shelves. He's looking for a particular text for a while and then the text just lifts itself off the shelf and floats over to him and he says, "Ah, oh, thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> and he lays out a bunch of books on a table, a tall standing table near you and just starts pouring over them and says, um, this might take a few minutes. Um, do you want to... If you wanted to play cards or something with the poltergeist, he would certainly appreciate it. Uh, Farah, do you like games? And she's been sort of standing around awkwardly. Like, she, she's only been here half a day, right? Like, she, mm-hmm. I guess a full day. Like, she's still, <laughs> this is still all very, very strange to her. So she's just sort of standing awkwardly on the other side of the room, and she makes eye contact with you and then just, like, very awkwardly waves. <laughs> Area awkwardly waves back. Hey. Uh, do you want to <laughs> play cards? Yeah, let's play cards. Cool. And she heads over and settles down at that little two-person table with you. And uh, you guys clear off the chessboard and pull out a deck of cards. And what do you play? What do you like? Does Area play cards? Like, is she good at cards? I would say she's not good at cards. So she suggests go fish. god that just feels right doesn't it (laughs) awesome okay so i think you and farah and the poltergeist play go fish and you guys just kind of hang out and chat while vesper works on on finding that translation for you and i think the first like is is iria chatty or is she kind of kind of quiet i think she's chatty like that's just kind of her nature is to be chatty okay i think you sit down and farah kind of like doesn't know what to do with herself. <laughs> so what are what do you chit chat with with Farah? Uh, I think I ask her like where uh, where she was before the castle. Like what was she doing? Who was she? Um, you're kind of politely asking Farah questions about herself, and she says, "Oh, uh, well, uh, 
I was, uh, I had, the, the, the castle was my first job, really. Um, I used to be a chef. I mean, I guess technically a cook. Uh, but when it's artistry, when you're passionate about it, you're a chef, you know? Mm-hmm. And I used to make these really big inspired meals in Oberon's castle. Like before he killed everybody and the non-blood food stopped being a thing. <laughs> Sorry, I don't mean to laugh. It just, it is kind of funny. <laughs> it's okay. It's, it's, if you don't laugh, you'll cry. You know what I mean? <laughs> Do you like to cook? Mm, I'm not much of a cook. No, I like to eat. <laughs> that is, that is good. I, uh, I, I'm not sure if I can eat normal food, but I'm like really good at cooking normal food. So if you ever want to come by for food, not to be food, I know that that might be. Thanks for that clarification. Yeah. Yeah. Not to. (laughs) I wasn't thinking it, but now I am thinking it and you've clarified that that is not the case. So I can stop thinking about it. (laughs) Yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of that going on, but I like to cook and I think this cure is going to take a while. Do you think I can cook? Not for you, but for me. Like, do you think I can cook with blood? You're asking me? Yeah. I mean, I guess you don't cook. The person that just said they don't cook? Well, I don't, I mean... I mean, I don't see why not. Like, you could use it like olive oil, maybe? Okay, yeah. Like, like I know that it sounds gross, but, like, I'm pretty sure the stuff I used to eat will be nasty to me now without it. Maybe I can make dishes that used to contain wine? Like... Oh, yeah. Like a mushroom soup with red wine and brie, but instead of wine, blood? I don't know if this is going to be gross. That sounds pretty delicious for you. Oh my god. Hey, Vesper? How? And she just sort of like looks horrified and turns in her chair and goes, how? How do I get blood? (laughs) (laughs) And I think Vesper sort of looks up and goes, ah, well, uh, in Vire, people are free to sell things like their organs or their blood if they see fit. Uh, mostly for use in demonic rituals. But I had planned to set up a supply chain for you. Voluntary, of course, all above board. Perfectly legal. Uh, That way you will never be hungry, and therefore never be tempted to act in a way that is contrary to your gentle nature. Iria's kind of like off, like in her chair, and her eyes were a little wide when um, Fira was talking about using blood instead of wine and food like her eyes got a little bit big like huh and then and then vesper was like yeah demonic rituals and then her eyes got really big (laughs) and i just kept getting bigger and bigger as this conversation went on (laughs) i think pharaoh takes a look at you and sees that you look absolutely rightfully so uncomfortable and just sort of really awkwardly like rubs the back of her neck and goes okay yeah sorry blood talk's probably really uncomfortable for the living I mean, it's also uncomfortable for me, but I could see why it would be worse. Uh, Let's change the subject. Are you from Vire? No, actually, let's just keep talking about blood. That's way more interesting. No, I mean, actually, and she kind of like scoots back in her chair and she's like, I'm kind of getting hungry. So no, let's not talk about blood. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. No, I'm not from Vire. (laughs) Oh, okay. Uh, and she's like, she's kind of like rubbing her arm awkwardly. Uh, so. Area backs up a little bit. You're not from Vire. Why did you come to Vire? Seems like a weird place to come voluntarily. Yeah. You know, I didn't know much about Vire before I got here. And 
I mean, it, it's kind of fitting because it's not like a great reason that I came here. Yeah, it's kind of a kind of a crappy story if you ask me. Oh no. I mean if it if it makes you feel any better, my crappy story is that I died. So That is that is pretty bad. I guess I can't top that yet. Like like not in a not like we're not like having a bad backstory competition, but just like you don't have to worry about bringing down the mood. I literally live with a ghost and a skeleton. This is not <laughs> how I thought my life would turn out. <laughs> so if you want to talk about it, that's totally okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, I haven't really thought about this since, well, since I got to Vire. Um, and before that, I was kind of oblivious to my whole situation. Um, but I think as as I've been doing these things for... Vesper, I just, uh, you know, things are rattling around in my head. And and now that we've come back and we're not, uh, you know, staring down death directly in the face, these things are like starting to come up. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I came to Vire because I can't go back home. Um, I can't go back home because I've, I've been exiled, basically, um, disappointed everyone in my clan. So... Yeah, just I'm still trying to process that. That sounds so bad. It's not great. She like instinctively tries to reach out and pat your hand and then doesn't want to be threatening and thinks better of it and folds her arms like up and just just gives you kind of like a like a really sympathetic look and just says, um, hey, that sucks a lot. Yeah, it's I mean. I had a lot to do with why I'm here. So, you know, I think it's just something that I need to figure out. Vesper kind of sheepishly approaches you, sensing that you guys are in the middle of, of sort of a personal conversation and says, um, sorry to interrupt. Uh, I, I finished my translation. Perfect. No, this is the perfect time to interrupt. It's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> he tilts his head at you a little bit and then comes over and sets the piece of paper down in front of you. And he says, um, it appears there are two words here. Uh, the first one, and he puts a bony finger under the first set of symbols that you scribbled. The first one is abyssal for fool. Hmm. I'll write it out phonetically for you. Unfortunately, it has seven syllables, but that word means fool. And the second, and he moves his bony finger to the second set of symbols, the second appears to say release. That one is only five syllables, though, and the last syllable is just a clicking sound, so it shouldn't be too difficult to say. Huh. So the two words that you have seen scratched into the side of the smear is fool and release. And he takes the piece of paper, and underneath the symbols that you wrote out, he writes the translation, and then he writes out the pronunciation. Um, and the pronunciation is very complicated and uh, strange and involves like some like clicking sounds and, and other such things. But he writes it out uh, in a way that is pretty easily uh, understood. Okay. I think Iria tries to like sound it out a little bit. Yeah. Give me, go ahead and just give me, give me a straight up and down linguistics check. Ooh, that went too far away. Uh, I got 12. Okay. Yeah. So I think it takes a while. Vesper spends a little bit of time with you teaching you how to pronounce it. But by the time you're done, you actually have a pretty good handle on two words in the abyssal language, fool and release. She feels very proud. <laughs> <laughs>
And uh, Vesper claps his hands together and looks at Farah and says, well, uh, <clears throat> should we get back to it? And <laughs> Farah sort of awkwardly like rubs her bandaged arms and goes, yeah, okay, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think Iria kind of looks at Fear and all the bandages and and says, um, is there anything I can help you with? Maybe provide a distraction? Oh, it's cool. I I heal really fast now, so that's nice. It's uh, one of the only perks of being dead. Although, I guess walking up the wall is also a perk. That is pretty cool. I don't know if it's worth being dead, but it's pretty cool. It's probably not worth being dead, but I did used to need help reaching stuff all the time when I was alive. <laughs> oh my God. I can put spices on the top shelf. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> uh, thank you. I, I appreciate it, but it's probably not safe for you to be around me when I'm in pain because of the vampire thingy majiggy. <laughs> it's actually pretty perfect that I live with a skeleton and some other vampires because I literally can't eat Vesper, which is awesome. <laughs> yeah, I was hoping you said you would say that I was just trying to be nice, but I didn't really want to be there. <laughs> she smiles at you and she says, I really like you. I hope we can be friends. I know it's awkward that I'm dead. I promise I'm a really nice person and you're really funny. And I really, I really need that right now. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, I'd, I would like that. And Vesper and Farah get ready to, to go back to work. Farah, she stands up and she like looks like she wants to hug you for a second. And then she thinks better of it. And she steps a couple feet back and then holds out her hand and says, can I interest you in a hand hug? <laughs> um, Iria laughs a little bit and puts out one hand to like shake her hand, but then also like puts her other hand over Fear's hand so that it's like a really warm hand hug. I think you have like a kind of a long, you know, handshake where she like gives your hand a squeeze and her, her hands are cold to the touch, but her eyes are very warm and friendly. And she smiles and says, thanks. I liked that chat. It was nice. It's one of the first chats I've, I've had in like a hundred years. And I hope we have more. It was, it was really nice. I hope you visit. Yeah, I definitely will. I'll probably have more things to translate. So <laughs> Uh, and I think uh, I think Farah and and Vesper go back to work. All right, thank you, Vesper. He sort of sweeps a low bow and gestures to Farah and says, "No, thank you." <laughs> <clears throat> so they leave, and then Iria leaves the library, and she like walks down the stairs while she's still saying the translation out loud, like practicing it. And I think you can just hear Iria doing that all the way out. So where are you guys headed? Tonra is going to stop by the um, the tapestries to get a closer look. Okay. Uh, the tapestries are really tall, so they kind of encompass multiple floors. Um, I think you can get the best look at them from floor number two. So if you go down to floor number two, what you see is large classrooms that are closed off where there appear to be college level classes being taught. Um, some of them seem to be practical. There's like an acrobatics class being taught in one of the rooms. You see a lot of people doing flips. There's a couple that are more cerebral and people are just like writing on chalkboards. Um, there's one room 
that uh, is closed off. And even though it's closed, though, you can hear like a bunch of loots, like too many loots. <laughs> and then they're not all good, right? But you come to this area and you get a really good look at the tapestries. And uh, Gideon, are you are you happy to tag along and examine these tapestries? Yeah. Okay. What you see is six tapestries. Um, and they appear to be organized by year. And the years here are in BF and RF, just like the history, which is before Fane and Rise of Fane. And you intuit that these are the six rulers of Vire that have been from the House of Fane. And that, that might surprise you because you guys have heard of three total. You've heard of Sephira, you've heard of her mother, and you've heard of her grandmother. But there are three people here you've never heard of. On the far left, you see a woman. She kind of looks like Sephira. She has those same yellow snake eyes. And it says, Aurelia, born negative 18 BF, ruled 0 RF to 86 RF. Hmm. Okay. So if you do the math on that, you can see that this person ruled for 86 years. And you go to the right, and directly to the right of what you can assume is Sephira's grandmother, you see three people that you have never heard of. There are three what appear to be siblings, and their rules are spaced out and very short. You see Livia first, and her rule was one year. Sabina next, her rule two years. Cyrus is the only man on the wall, and his rule was less than one year. And then to their right, you see Kalista. And she looks more like Sephira than anyone. And you can intuit that this is Sephira's mother. And her rule lasted 31 years. Then to the far right, you see Sephira, who has been ruling, you can tell from the numbers, for 15 years at present. Tonrir wants to do a quick uh, memory check. Mm -hmm. What was the age appearance of the book or books that they were looking at with the history? The ones that you just looked at? Yeah. They were new. They were pretty new. Okay. He's, uh, he's piecing that together in his mind. Tonrir is, of course, staring at the very short rules, the short-term rulers, um, for several moments, trying to make note of them mentally before looking over toward uh, Gideon. Um, I'll be honest, I'm kind of at a loss for what Gideon's going to do. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you guys can just take that information and run with it if you like. And it, this information, like, appears to be very public. Like, it is, it is right on the side of the library. So you get the impression that if you need to find this later, it won't be hard. Yeah. Um, I think when Tonray looks at Gideon, it's just kind of this knowing look of something's not adding up in this happy wonderland. Yeah, she's, she's not necessarily reacting. She's not saying anything. She just... It's kind of, it just seems like she's processing a lot and trying to piece everything together. Yeah. Where are you guys heading next? Uh, it's going to be uh, through the assembled group just to glance at everybody's there to feign interest and then continue uh, to see if we can find where the basement is. Yes. So you guys head back down to the first floor and I think you guys look for a basement, and you don't see anything. There's no stairs, no lift, nothing. Um, there doesn't seem to be a basement. Um, do you guys want to give me a perception check? Of course we do. Oh, it's just getting better. Um, 23. 
also 23. So you guys don't see stairs going down. You guys don't see a door. You guys don't see anything heading to the basement. Uh, What you do see is a ring of keys that is on the podium, sort of hanging on the side of the podium, uh, where that information gnome is. Tonware is going to look to uh, Gideon once they get into a space where nobody can hear them like talking very close to one another. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he's going to say, I think at this point it's time that we use the uh, seal of the queen to get where we need to go. And perhaps we need to talk to the, um, what did we call the gnome? Information gnome? <laughs> information. We'll talk to the information gnome. Um, uh, that <clears throat> I think that uh, perhaps we should use the um, empowerment that the queen gave us to talk to Bryron and see about finding where exactly private things are kept. Do you believe that this queen seal will work as well to grant us access within her own capital? Tonrear uh, shrugs and just says, there's only one way to find out. All right, I trust you. That makes one of us. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Tonrear will nod and then continue looking about. Is there anything that might catch his eye um, before he hits, uh, gets to Bryron? No, I think I think everything is as it was before. Um, you see a lot of people talking. Uh, most people seem pretty comfortable. You see what looks like some intellectual debate. You actually pass what looks like a druid with a lion familiar who is um, avidly discussing what sounds like the plant life of a particular region with what looks like another intellectual. And uh, you just see a lot of people deep in conversation. And if you head over to uh, Bryron, then uh, I think he says... Um, Welcome to the Library of Va... Oh, it's you. Tonrear is going to take the lead on conversation this time. <laughs> Pro- uh, just remembering that Gideon didn't make probably the best impression and says, um, Yes, uh, thank you for your direction earlier. We were able to look at the public information and uh, we were uh, very appreciative of what was read. Um, however, there are some things that... Um, may not be as public that we need access to. And when he does that, as concealed as he can, but to Bryron's eye, he is going to hold up his wrist that has the bracelet with the uh, queen stamp. Okay. Uh, Roll charisma. Uh, 17. He looks at your bracelet, and you can see him suddenly stand up really straight. He was kind of listening to you and also half reading, and he stands up and quickly closes the book on his desk, and blinks at you for a minute and then slowly reaches out to the side of the podium and picks up the ring of keys. And I think he hops down off of his stack of books and crooks a finger at you to follow him. Tonrear does so and looks to see if Gideon follows suit. Yeah, Gideon follows in behind Tonrear. He walks you around the first story um, back into a area full of music books. And the further back you go, the dustier and dustier it gets. And you get this impression that this area is not very often used. Not because it's music. There are areas of music that are very well used. But this seems to be the least used portion of the first floor. Hmm. And he walks you along through these stacks as it gets dustier and dustier. And finally looks around 
sees that it's only you, pushes the key into a book, turns it, and pushes a bookshelf out of the way. And what you see before you is a set of stairs that goes down into the dark. Does he say anything after that, or is he just gesturing him? He says, um, I hope you find what you're looking for. And sketches a low bow. Will we find torches or sconces within? It would be quite hard to read in the dark. Briarin smiles and he says, um, You won't have a problem. Tonrear nods at that. Um, knowing that he has seen Gideon light up things with weird <laughs> features. Um, he will start down the stairs because also he can, he can still see for at least most of it, I would imagine. Yeah, we both have dark vision. Yeah. Yeah, great. So you guys head down those stairs, and he closes the bookshelf behind you, and you can hear him lock it. And you guys are temporarily swallowed in almost complete darkness. And then the torches on the wall beside you ignite of their own accord. And it's normal red-orange flame. And as those torches ignite, so do a bunch of torches in a straight row all the way down. And they illuminate a stack of what looks like much older, much dustier books. And to speed this part up, both of you guys go ahead and give me intelligence checks. (laughs) (laughs) Five. (laughs) Five, okay. (laughs) Eleven. Oh boy. All right. (laughs) So much for speeding it up. (laughs) You guys are down here a long time. It takes you quite a while, but eventually you guys both do find what you're looking for. You kind of follow the same patterns as what Zaylin had done. You look by region and then you look by year and eventually you are able to find information. Who wants to go first? Uh, Gideon, I I volunteer you because you were, you were hell bent earlier. Okay. Yeah. Let's do this. So you find information on Silverscale and you open it up. And what you are reading, (laughs) you see listed in the years before Silverscale's fall, you see listed the same diplomatic meetings. But here, downstairs, in this dusty book, you see written each diplomatic meeting and then the word fail. And there are four diplomatic meetings spread out over the four years before your original home was destroyed and each one says fail and then you see the date of when your original home fell and next to that date is a number it says code 463 and then Tonrir what you find perhaps simultaneously it's possible you split up Did you guys sort of like open your books at the same time together? Yeah, I think we'd be perusing our own books. Okay. I kind of like to envision you guys like side by side and then you sort of share like a look and then you guys open your books. Mm -hmm. Tanra, what you find when you look at your region is more or less what you know to be the truth. You see a map and it shows that your woods were not a part of fire. And you see several maps over time, a vire expanding around your woods. And you see trade roads going to the north and south of your woods. But you, you understand just from knowing geography that 
Those must have taken a long time. It takes you several days around the side of Asterwood because of the mountains. And then if you keep reading, what you find is that about 22 years ago, they decided they were going to go through Asterwood. You don't see any diplomatic meetings listed. What you do see is mercenaries hired to make way for the road. And then you see that same code. 463. I think because we were just reading simultaneously, Gideon will read that um, and she's perusing it all and she sees all the failed diplomatic meetings and then that code that she doesn't understand, almost as if she's alone in her own home library, she'll she'll tend to talk to herself out loud and she just looks up with a, uh, her brow furrowed. She's very confused and quietly says, code 463. Tonrir, upon hearing that, is going to startle back from the book for a moment, look toward her, and then bring the book over and point exactly where that is written down as well to show it to her and say nothing. Yeah, so now we've seen that both our books have the same code. Um, upon seeing that, Gideon will look up at Tonrir and kind of questioning with her eyes. Um, she's searching his to see if there's any kind of recognition of what that means. Tonrir is just watching her work and is digesting this information uh, at present. I think you guys both sit in silence for a while with half of the answer. And it's very still down here. There's nobody else. But Give me, give me quick perception checks to see who sees it first. 15. I'm going to be higher than that because I rolled a 16. Okay. Tonrir, you see it first, but Gideon, not long after, you see something both very unexpected in this place and also very familiar. You see Tassir, the queen's snake, and he is slithering along between piles of books towards you. Hmm. Ton rears on guard, um, just knowing what the what the snake does. Um, and you're not actually like paralyzed by snakes anymore, right? Yeah, not anymore. So Gideon sees a snake and just kind of breathes in, kind of realizing that she isn't paralyzed with fear and just waits for what's going to happen. He approaches you. Kind of approaches you as he has before, as if he wants to climb you. I assume you mean Tonrir. Yeah. Tonrir will hesitate for a moment, but then kneel down as he had done before and offer a hand. Tassir climbs up your arm and coils around it so that his head is lifting off of your hand. And as you straighten back up, hmm. He raises himself up so he is roughly at eye level with both of you. And Gideon, he looks at you for a long moment, unblinking. And then his eyes go completely white. And when he opens his mouth, displaying fangs, you hear, I see you're halfway to the truth already. Well, good. Then I can make this brief. Read me that code there, next to the event. Occurring on 41RF. Gideon 
Um, Gideon steals herself and says, Code 463. The queen's voice comes out of the snake and says, 463. Destroyed to make way for the expansion of Vire. Gideon, in an expression that Tonrir may have recognized before from when she cast a spell in the past, she lets out a scream, only it's audible to all. And as she's doing so, a thin layer of ice forms near her feet on the ground. And Gideon has just crumbled. If Tonrir is close enough to her, he may feel that it is much colder around her. Tonrir has... Like, he brings his hands to his temples in that just unbelieving look, even though the snake is on one of his arms, uh, just trying to process why. And he slumps to a bookshelf nearby and just kind of slides down it. Um, and is just holding his hands to his head and is silent. As you guys are both grieving, the light in the snake's eyes go out. And he slithers back down to the ground, even if he has to drop, and begins to leave. Gideon, your scream puts the torches nearest to you out. And Tonrir, you watch the queen's familiar slither up the stairs. And I think you both stay there for a long time together in the darkness and in the supernatural cold. With what you unfortunately know is the truth. <laughs> <laughs> 